0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Vero Beach in Florida. Welcome to the show, Brent Bowers. Hey, nice to
1: meet you, Victor Menashe. Thanks so much for having me on the Real Estate Espresso Podcast. Definitely my honor today.
0: Well, great to have you here. Now, Brent, you've been in the land game for quite some time. Would love... you to share a little bit of your backstory for those who don't know you and how you got to this point in your journey?
1: Yeah, I mean, growing up as a guy without much money, you want to be something in life. I always wanted to be a real estate rock star. So I kind of got started right about 2007 timeframe when things were pretty nice. And then about six or eight months later, things started to crash. I had just purchased my first rental property, put a tenant in it, and had just gotten my real estate license. So things were all going great. And then obviously 2008 happened, 2009, I ended up getting into the military to go back to school and kind of start my life over. Cause I was like, man, maybe real estate's not for me. Couple deployments go by and I'm like handcuffed to this job, I'm always gone, always away, always training. And you know, lost my first wife to just never being around. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have my future. I'm going to control my future. I'm going to do what I want to do. No one's going to tell me what I'm going to do. So I got back to the States in 2013 and got back into real estate, got back into rentals, started buying rentals and then wholesaling houses to pay the Home Depot credit card off, to pay the American Express off. And as an Army officer, I didn't have a lot of time. didn't have a lot of time. So I was able to keep searching for answers. And then I stumbled upon land and I haven't looked back since.
0: Land is one of those asset classes that unless you have a particular formula for many investors, they're wary of it because for a couple of reasons. Number one, depending on the market conditions, let's say property prices drop 10%, as can happen in a market cycle. You can have land prices drop even more than that. So land goes from being in demand to not in demand, in demand to not in demand, depending on what's happening in the market. Whereas the completed product, Tends to fluctuate a little bit more around an average. So that's one of the criticisms. And the other criticism, of course, is that land often doesn't cash flow unless it's a parking lot or you're leasing the land, land doesn't cash flow. So a lot of investors stay away from it. What's your angle?
1: Well, I love that. I really love that they stay away from it. I, I preach that I virtually have no competition. Let's talk about the latter criticism first. You know, most people probably listening to the show, I, I know we've got a ton of very sophisticated investors on the show, I have thousands of units, passive income, and they probably drive by land every day and they don't look twice at it because there's no way to make money on it. They don't realize the way. There's no parking lot on it. There's no uh, multi-family on it. There's no storage unit. There's no office or houses. That's where I come in. I go in and I get this land at massive, massive discounts because these people aren't getting their doors knocked on. They're not getting text messages and phone calls and emails and cold calls and mail constantly. They get my one letter or my one cold call offering them basically an offer for their land and they take it. 99 out of 100 people don't need my offer. But that one person that gives me a massive discount and I'm getting this property at 20, 30 cents on the dollar, it allows me to turn around and sell it to someone else for a nice down payment and an affordable monthly payment and and get an income from this piece of land that was doing nothing before. So that's how I make money from it. And that's why there's virtually no competition because most people don't realize that you can buy land at pennies on the dollar and turn around and sell it to someone that does want it. There's a buyer for every piece of this land.
0: I love that. That makes a lot of sense. So in a lot of cases, what you're describing are, in some sense, stranded assets, assets that are not being productive, that could be, and simply because the owner doesn't know, doesn't care, doesn't whatever. And so that stranded asset is just sitting there underperforming, and you can put it to work.
1: 100%. And then the first one you mentioned, too, the first criticism, that's, that's a true fact. I mean, it, when when the real estate market crashes and people stop building, the land prices stop booming and it's turned it in the last year and a half land across the country has really turned in to a seller's market. So where I was able to get land deals a year and a half ago at 30 cents on the dollar, now I'm paying 51 cents on the dollar for certain parcels of land. And I'm not only buying buildable infill lots where a builder can build a spec home or multifamily I'm also purchasing that land that's just on the outskirts of all this growth that's happening. I call that the teeter-totter effect. I'm just teeter-tottering on the outskirts where there's not much happening. These owners of this land might live out of country, out of state, out of county, and they're not seeing all this explosion. So they're not in the hype of thinking, oh, I need to get a million dollars for my land. So they're willing to give me a massive discount just to get the burden off their shoulders or they inherited it or they don't care or they don't know what's going on. And I buy that as well. And my buyers are people that, you know, they want to build a cabin one day or they want a piece of recreational land or something to camp on, park their RV on. So they're not really in the uproar of building. They just want to own a piece of America and they don't have tons of money. They're just paycheck to paycheck people. They're they're not broke, but they spend all their money and a land payment. Is something that they want and they need. And most of the time, I have no issues with these people. They make that payment and they don't call, <laughs> unlike my renters, my tenants.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Now, of course, the value of land often is tied to what it's entitled for. For example, the value of agricultural land is going to be, you know, whatever it is, three, four, or 5,000 an acre. Value of development land could be several hundred thousand an acre. And so there's a factor, a couple of zeros, a couple of orders of magnitude difference between those two. Are there particular zoning classifications that you go after, ones that you stay away from?
1: I personally like to go after, and this is the one I do go after, is vacant residential land. Now, granted, we do come across in our wide net, you know, those nets that they catch all the tuna with, they, they catch dolphin from time to time. Hopefully they get released back, but unfortunately they don't most of the time. That's a whole nother subject. Right. It's like our, our net that we've cast to get this vacant residential land. We'll get commercial from time to time. We'll get agriculture land that's not being farmed or rants from time to time. And we will we'll obviously assess it and see what it's worth and try and get it at a massive discount. But yeah, we'll, we'll pick up from time to time commercial or agriculture. But I prefer, to answer your question, to stick to vacant residential land because that's where the mass majority of buyers are looking for. I'm kind of looking for the bigger buyers list, basically, the waiting list of buyers that I have. And it gets easier with every property that we do because we build our buyers list every single time we do a piece of land.
0: So your buyers could be the end user who's ultimately going to own the property themselves. They might build their own custom home on it. If there's a little bit of acreage, it could be a small builder who does 10, 20 units a year or it could be even a larger builder. Is there a particular target buyer that you have in mind when you're going after land?
1: Yeah. So you kind of hit them all dead on and and I do a little bit of each, but I really specifically, I would say probably 85% of my portfolio is like on the outskirts of that growth, the teeter totter method. So it would be more like recreational land or land that's in the middle of nowhere. that. Avatar of buyer is just a, you know, the average person, they might be a plumber, a truck driver, electrician that's basically they are not wealthy. They don't, they're not carrying around tons of money, but they can come up with a three or a five or a six thousand dollar down payment for a piece of land and easily afford three, four, or five ninety-nine a month. So that's my typical buyer, paycheck to paycheck, wants a place to build that cabin or the custom home just on the outskirts of the city. And with with COVID. That really made even more of a demand because I'm seeing now these five-acre parcels, these 10-acre parcels on the outskirts, I'm seeing more demand for things like this because people are just trying to get away from the city, trying to get away from the hustle and bustle or I don't want to wear a mask or I don't want to fly. So I'm going to rent an RV for the weekend and go and stay on my land, or I'm going to buy an RV or or a quad or a side-by-side and go use my land.
0: Now you touched on a little bit of a financial model. So, are you selling them the land? Are you financing the land for them? And you're the bank. What's the structure? Yep.
1: We take a down payment and then a monthly payment. We're selling 90% of our land on a contract for deed, contract for deed, because my structure is all about passive income. I want to do a deal or my if when my team does a deal, I want to be paid for the next at least five years. There's some land deals that we're doing, bigger land deals, where we'll do a 30-year mortgage on it. But yeah, most of 90% of it is we will do a contract for deed on a specific term, interest rate, and when they pay it off, we will then transfer them a warranty deed. We'll give them a warranty deed for their land and do it that way. Now, if we have a buyer that's putting a larger down payment, say $40,000, and they're more sophisticated, they want to use a title company, we'll do that and we will give them a deed of trust and a promissory note, but they're going to come up with a way larger down payment.
0: Now the contract for deed does that preclude the buyer from developing the property until they actually have ownership?
1: They can make all improvements. They have to be submitted in writing, and we have to approve them, like fence or well or a septic system or a cistern, a big tank that you can put water in. But we do not allow them to build a structure that they can lay their head there at night, because then we're dealing with RESPA, Dodd Frank issues like that, and then it becomes a well, this person lives here, this is where their home is, their stuff is here, they're receiving mail, then it becomes a little harder to send a cancellation of contract that's usually going to be in front of a judge type thing. And I don't want to have to deal with that. Now, granted, it could still happen. We could, someone could still fight us and we'll do everything we can to modify a loan if need be. As long as they're working and communicating, we will work with them. But then there's the bad part about the land business that no one really talks about is there's easy come, easy go. You know, if we're not doing a credit check or all these financial checks, can they afford it? There will be those that default. And unfortunately, sometimes we're already profitable on the land when they default and we'll have to send a cancellation of contract for deed.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the issues with land from a due diligence standpoint is environmental. And so whoever owns the land, whoever has touched the land at some point in the past, including even a mortgage holder, can be liable for the cost of any environmental cleanup. To what extent do you get involved in validating the environmentals and any other risks that you might be facing as part of your due diligence?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we do our best to check and know what's going on in the surrounding area, obviously check that there's no junkyards. We won't buy like a gas station or a previous gas station that there might have been fuel tanks. And that's one, a lot of times I get asked all the time, Brent, what land deals do you avoid? Those with environmental issues, one, and two, that are not profitable. If there's any, like for instance, in Pueblo, Colorado, they've got the zones where they've got a lot of lead. So we don't usually purchase land in that area because we don't want to deal with the repercussions of that, or we know there's polluted water in certain areas of the country. I won't even mention that here. If we know about it, we'll avoid it. Now, obviously, we do our due diligence the best we can, but I'm not going to go and do a you know. Environmental... You're not going to be doing
0: borings and and no no not and,
1: doing
0: it. And, okay understood understood
1: and except for the the townhouse development that we're doing, we did check soil and all that on that one, but that was a $1.2 million piece of land, not a $9,000 piece of land.
0: Of course. So for someone who's looking to learn more about land and where these opportunities lie, what's the best way?
1: I'm always talking to people on Instagram. Be more than happy to talk to you. My handle is Brent L. Bowers, or head over to thelandsharks.com. And those are the two best ways to get in touch with me.
0: Fantastic. Well, fascinating story, as you probably know, we're very extensively involved in land development, but the focus is on the development and the entitlement of land for going vertical. And for the listeners at home, if you're interested in learning more about these opportunities, many of which are overlooked, definitely reach out to Brent at thelandsharks.com. That's the thelandsharks, And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.